Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Together We Grow podcast, brought to you by Calming Tree. I'm Amber Kapuri, and I'm the administrative assistant here at Calming Tree. I hope you're all well and working towards your emotional and mental growth. I know it's been a while since I've recorded. It's nice to be back. Usually we go on the schedule of our guests, so as long as they are ready to record, I am always here. I'm very fortunate to have worked with Lirandell and Jeff on this episode, and I think they offered some really great insight. What we're doing here on Together We Grow, as you know, is exploring challenges with our team of registered social workers using the platform of podcasts. And on today's episode, we have Jeff Barber and Lirandell Hazane, and we're going to be talking about something that's a little contentious and a little topical amongst my immediate group, we're talking about love. I think we all have different paths and different ideas of the trajectory in which our life will go. But when someone comes along, someone we love, a seismic shift occurs. Chemically, when two people fall in love, we face an increase in dopamine and adrenaline. Dopamine increases feelings of euphoria and adrenaline is responsible for the restlessness and overall preoccupation that goes along with experiencing love. Emotionally, however, the reactions are unique to the story. So what happens when trust is hindered and communication begins to grow into silence? I can't help but wonder, what are the shifts that relationships have taken generationally? Can even the sweetest relationship go sour? So I'd like to gain some understanding regarding the most pressing issues that come up in couples counseling. So 2019, who is the typical couple that comes in for couples counseling? I don't think there's a textbook couple these days. Couples counseling has really blown up in the last few years. There are people who are now open to the idea of of coming in and and having sort of structured professional support so they can make their relationship the best that it can be. In terms of like demographics and age and background, it's very diverse nowadays. And we see people of all ages, different stages of life, different ethnic backgrounds, different sexual orientations. We see same-sex couples a lot. So it's really quite diverse now, I would say. I've got couples that are coming in for counseling before they're even getting married. Um, I've got couples that, a couple couples actually that have come in looking for support and transition into what's retirement life going to be like as well. So yeah, I can't say that there would be like a typical couple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you find that the issues are all the same or they kind of have a general pattern despite the fact that there's diversity in who comes to see you? Communication is usually the biggest common denominator in most of the couples work being able to talk listen as well and understand what each other is saying is a theme that a lot of my couples are here for Mm -hmm. yeah a lot of couples come in and say we want to improve communication we want to reduce conflict we want to build trust those are really common themes on a deeper level i think it all kind of boils down to wanting that connection and and sometimes feeling like we've lost our way with that connection and for me it's about attachment because i work from an attachment model so it's uh, really strengthening that attachment knowing you know the question of is is my partner there for me is sort of in the back of everyone's mind when they're struggling there's sort of common underlying themes i think that are at the core of a lot of these issues you know conflict over finance you know, I don't. We don't often talk about that because it gets down to deeper levels, actually, like yeah. deeper issues. Yeah. Yeah. Finance is often a, a symptom of something mm-hmm. much bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you'd mentioned that you're seeing people that are transitioning to retirement. So do you find that the issues between couples change generationally for either of you? Relationships then, relationships now, do these things change over time or intrinsically are we facing the same problems within our relationships? I would 
really agree with you in terms of the attachment piece. Really, the common thing is, is my partner there for me? Do I also, do I understand who my partner is as well? Is there a level of understanding that exists now that wouldn't have existed 10 years ago? Mm. You mean around... uh Around counseling, yeah. There has been a lot of research in the last few decades. So John Gottman, for example, is a a big name in, in couples therapy, and he has done a ton of research on what works in couples' relationships, what is toxic, and what tears people apart. I think we know a lot more now from the research he's done in, in labs and studying uh, couples in counseling about what is helpful and what's not. One thing that he talks about is like the ratio of positive to negative communication, and you want to aim for a ratio of 10 to 1, 10 positive mm-hmm. interactions for every one negative. So that's there's important findings like that. There's also Sue Johnson's work, who um, is sort of the guru of emotionally focused couples therapy. That is a very researched field as well. It's all about attachment, and that's one of the sort of basic human drives. We want to couple. We want to um, connect with other people, and that person is our primary person for attachment, and so that can be a very effective model for looking at what's important to people, I guess, to human beings, and that is very well researched in terms of couples relationship and and the impact of sort of the emotional aspect and attachment. So those are two highly researched, I guess, areas. Have things changed over the generations in terms of the challenges and whatnot couples are facing? Do you have any thoughts on that? So I'm not really (laughs) sure about what um, trends have changed or not. I think that people are much more open to accessing like counseling supports now than they probably Mm -hmm. were 10 years ago Um, and that's kind of a shift I think because of people's understanding of you know like mental health and you know taking care of your mind as well as your body and all that other stuff too so I think that it's um, a lot easier for folks to access counseling now without having a thought of stigma around it or anything like that yeah I would agree with that and I think along with that it's so needed because they're are a lot of pressures today on couples. Mm-hmm. Um, just our society has become faster paced. The um, sort of erosion of community. So we depend on our partner for so much nowadays, which I think is very different than a few generations ago where we had more extended family, more community. And so that puts a lot of pressure and expectations on couples to sort of meet each, all each other's needs, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily healthy. Yes, we absolutely talk about you know using our, our other supports in our lives, but Nonetheless, that couple's relationship is is so important. So I think that Mm -hmm. has changed um, in terms of the environment Mm -hmm. that we live in. And that's kind of a, I guess going back to the other question too, it's kind of a theme too, that life is so fast paced now that there's that the attachment piece is starting to lack because mm-hmm. couples are not spending any time together. Yeah. You know, um, both partners are often working outside of the house and then uh, running around after work with kids or other commitments and things like that, that there's not enough time that they're taking together to, you know, continue to nurture the relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's um, another theme that I've noticed in a lot of the work that I've done. Yeah, yeah. And, and I do see a lot of couples who are in that stage of life where they're taking care of children and maybe aging parents. And that's a very kind of difficult, sometimes high-risk time for couples because it's easy to neglect the couple's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So you talked about themes and patterns really briefly. Um, is there a pattern of behavior that people follow in relationships? We've heard old sayings like opposites attract or you marry your parents. So do you find that in mm-hmm. couples counseling these are true? I see that you're laughing, yeah. so I feel that there's an experience there. Do we partner with people that we have 
similar tendencies to or do we tend to partner with ones that differ so greatly from our own? That's a question I think about a lot. I really enjoy getting to know all the people I work with and I, I sort of see these differences in personalities that can really complement each other. Um, can be a real opportunity. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's also a bit you know, polarizing or challenging. So do opposites attract? Some of the research would say that we are attracted to mates that um, have similar backgrounds, values. That's, you know, research that's foundational, I guess, in, in anthropology and psychology that we look for similarity. But I think that what I actually see is more personality differences between people. So maybe similar backgrounds in terms of values. Personalities can be very different. One person can be a real extrovert. One person can be a real introvert. And that can be a great thing. It can really kind of bring out the best in both people. But it can also be challenging if one person's a big communicator and the other yeah. person struggles mm-hmm. to talk about their feelings. Yeah, and that ties into a lot of the like the family of origin work that we would do mm-hmm. with the couples as well, right? So what was conflict like in your house growing up as well? How did your parents model conflict? Was it modeled healthily or not? Or what, you know, oftentimes I'll see that lots of folks will adapt or adopt rather the conflict styles what their family of origin were. And if that doesn't mesh well with the partner, mm-hmm. there's a big clash around how to deal with conflict inside of the relationship as well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you got into childhood work because you also work with children. So do you mind describing a little bit about your practice in regards to couples counseling? Lauren Dahl, I know you've been training in emotionally focused couples therapy and Jeff, you have a more integrative approach to couples counseling. What can somebody expect if they come to see either of you? And how do your perspectives differ? I'm a bit integrative as well, but I really love Sue Johnson's work on emotionally focused couple therapy because I think that's where sometimes we can have like the biggest movement and the you know the biggest growth when people kind of get to the emotional level and can really understand where the other person is coming from mm-hmm. so to answer your question so uh, I focus on a few things I first of all I do think it's so important to build on the positive capital in the relationship and uh, you know like Gottman says you know you want a 10 to 1 ratio well you could just focus on eliminating the negative but it's just as important to focus on building on the positive um, so I, you know, I do talk about things like appreciating your partner. Um, we talk a little bit about how the couple met, what attracted them to one another, kind of bringing them back to those core reasons why they're together in the first place. And then we get into some of the more challenging issues once we've built a little of that foundation. In doing emotionally focused couples therapy, what we're doing is we're identifying sort of this negative cycle that's gotten hold of the couple. And it's a negative emotional cycle and there's triggers and there's things happening sort of at the surface level and there's things happening at a deeper level, which is more around attachment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my goal is to make it safe for couples to share what's happening on that deeper level to really hear each other and get to a place where they can actually turn that cycle into a positive cycle where they're hearing each other when there's a challenge where they can really listen and sort of get what's happening with their partner another level. That doesn't mean they're always going to agree on everything, but it means they'll have a deeper understanding for one another. And that then builds on the positive capital as well. Every time they can do that cycle differently. Every time they can kind of stop and say, wait, (laughs) I don't think I really know where you're coming from and and let's slow this down. Maybe even let's come back and talk to it at a a different time. So hitting pause on a fight. Hitting pause on a fight is so important because a lot of times timing is just not going to happen in that moment. I kind of see it as like a tumbleweed effect. Like it starts to collect more things along the way and then eventually it snowballs so big that you don't know... Yeah. how to navigate the entire challenge. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like starting with the communication skills, we kind of talk initially about those kind of rules of engagement around fighting and when to sort of walk away Mm -hmm. and not and the idea of um, bringing in uh, more than one issue, which often happens. Mm -hmm. That's one of those, you know, fair fighting rules that we talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's that's a little bit about my approach. Yeah. I'd say my approach is actually fairly similar to Larendell's in that, yeah, I like to give couples space to be able to kind of talk about what what's going on, you know, and almost sometimes act as a, a bit of an interpreter because um, one partner thinks that they're explaining things fairly well, but really the other partner is, just doesn't have any idea of actually what's going on. Or one partner thinks that they're doing something that's actually positive, but really it's actually feeding into some of the negative <laughs> thoughts that the other partner's already got and it just kind of builds onto that as well so it's it's really um for me it's about yeah very similar talking about what brought them together in the first place what the strengths were from from the relationship from the beginning and i also too ask about you know in a perfect world what would you like to see from your partner in terms of change that you'd like to see but also what they're contributing to the relationship as well and how does this differ from your approach with kids and family sessions do you find that working with couples so you're new to working with couples how do you find that transition as a it's totally different yeah (laughs) so yeah with with kids it's about um dirty my practice is just play-based therapy right it's really well i guess it's actually fairly similar as well it's about understanding a common language right and being able to get to the root of what the issue is with a common language Mm -hmm. Um, when i'm working with children the best way to communicate with them is play because that's what children used for communication right so when I'm working with couples it's it's about making sure that we're all you know using the same language and we all understand what each other is saying to kind of under or discover what the conflict is um, and what changes need to be made so I guess it's similar in that aspect Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. I was thinking of this idea of uh, you know communication and the message not be, that's intended not being received, right? Mm-hmm. You were alluding to that. And it's amazing how many times we practice this exercise in couples uh, sessions where it's active listening, you're sort of reflecting back what you heard. And often the partner is interpreting it through their own lens and it's it's not what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, It's not what the person's intending, but it's, you know, based on their own experience. And so like that, that's a really interesting exercise because mm-hmm. then we can sort of clarify like asking their partner so is that what you meant and it's like no that they're not getting it it's it's actually this so we might go through that a few times mm-hmm. to really um make sure that they understand when people understand each other it's like yeah. telephone right yeah totally <laughs> well and i use that ex- i use the example of drive-through language uh, for couples as well mm-hmm. um, to, for exactly the same things couples i think I'm trying to have this skill. They, they can do this, right? And so when I would say that, um, a lot of times you're like, well, no, that's why we're here. We don't know how to do that. So my example would be if you're at Starbucks or at Tim Hortons and you go through the drive-thru, what happens, right? You make your order that can be quite complicated. The person feeds the order back to you to make sure that when you get to the window, it's exactly what you wanted. Otherwise, it's going to be a big conflict, right? You're not happy with what you've ordered. You're not, you know, that's not what you asked for. All this other stuff. It's a big mess to clean up. (laughs) So when you're having a conflict or when you're communicating with your partner, think of it as going through a drive-thru, right? So if Laren Dahl and I were having this conversation, you know, and we were kind of in a higher level of conflict, drive-thru language is, you know, when she tells me something, I can feed it back to her to confirm your order's right, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that when you when we can wow. get to the, the drive-through window, 
there's not a conflict there. Yeah. yeah. It's such an everyday way to look at a conflict mm-hmm. and no one, like, I ha- this is the first time I'm hearing about it, so mm-hmm. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you, why do you enjoy couples work? I mean, I feel like it would be emotionally taxing, but what made you want to incorporate this into your practice, or this is what I want to start doing? For me, it's, uh, I, I, um, the the primary basis of my practice is working with kids. I love working with kids. Um, and You're great at it. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I like relationship work as well, and I like I like the couples counseling piece because it it um, um, I, I like to be able to kind of help to facilitate that that communication piece. You give people space to be able to talk about what's going on and and help them to kind of grow further. You know, as a couple. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's been a sort of a natural trajectory in that I also worked with uh, younger people a lot early in my career. So I work with youth and young, young adults. I still do. You can relate in a different way when you're in your twenties than when you're older. I've now been married for over 20 years Mm -hmm. and there's a big need in our field for couples work and I used to see it with the kids I worked with, with individuals I worked with, and we'd often be talking and counseling about relationships. But the other person not being in the room, you're sort of, it's a distorted kind of counseling and it's it's not nearly as effective as having both people in the room. Mm -hmm. I just see it as so much more effective. Um, Mm -hmm. effective for couples, effective for families. Mm -hmm. The couple is sort of the foundation of the family. And even if people don't stay together, the the same, it's still important to have good communication and understanding and be on the same page. So, so I see it as really critical. Um, and I, I guess what sort of gave me sort of the motivation and the confidence is my is life experience and I don't know if that's necessary (laughs) I don't know if that's necessary but I having been through a a lot of you know ups and downs and challenges of raising children I feel like I can relate to a lot of stages of what Mm -hmm. couples go through so I felt like yes at this point in my career it's something that I would love to do and so a few years ago I I got into couples counseling and Mm -hmm. now I see about a uh, third or half of folks I see are, are couples. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I think for me too, another big piece is actually, yeah, my own work too. Um, uh, when my wife and I got married, um, we did premarital counseling just, you know, as, as part of what our process was. Um, and we had a male therapist. Mm-hmm. And um, oh. so that I think that that's also kind of uh, a piece of why I'm like, I like to do the couples work too, is just to be able to have a, a bit, uh, like have my male perspective. I think that it's kind of breaks down barriers a little bit for some couples as well. Um, my experience is a lot, a lot of times um, uh, um, a man, man and the couple won't, might be more hesitant to come and do therapy or couples counseling, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I've, I've heard, yeah, like they're afraid that, you know, a couple of women in the room may may feel ganged up on um so having um, male perspective i think also kind of is a bit, it opens be, them up to opens the them idea. up a bit. yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. and i think it's really important that we provide counselors of different genders ages mm-hmm. um in this field and particularly gender i mean mm-hmm. we don't have enough males in this field and mm-hmm. our society really needs um males in the helping professions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so it's great that you know, here at calming tree we have two male counselors i agree going back to relationships and communication, do you believe that there are certain factors that are make or break? For example, if one person is extremely ambitious and motivated and the other hasn't quite found that drive yet, can that determine the success of a relationship? And what are some of the biggest struggles 
that you see within that theme today in regards to goals and aspirations amongst well i'd say common goals are important mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that one person can't be ambitious and the other sort of take a back seat maybe career-wise mm-hmm. maybe just in terms of uh hobbies uh lifestyle like it it really depends ambition can translate to anything it could translate to what they do right. in their free time to big life decisions like career and home ownership, starting a family and yeah, every aspect. I don't know if there's any kind of, like there's certain factors that would make or break a relationship in terms of that. It's, it's again, it's about, um, yeah, like you said, learn about common goals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, understanding that, yeah, if my partner is, you know, more active and more social than I am, um, you know, maybe it's it's my choice to be more introverted and my, I find my comfort being home and doing more low-key things. That doesn't mean that it's going to negatively impact our relationship. We have to have a mutual understanding of that's where we get our energy from. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think the small stuff isn't as important as the big stuff. I mean, you can be very yeah. different on the small stuff, but mm-hmm. like the common goals, a question I um, ask couples when... Uh, Second, you know, the second time we meet individually, is I ask them, you know, where uh, do you see yourself in five years from now? So, what are your life goals five years from now? And uh, you know, usually people's life goals are quite compatible in terms of you want to focus on family, or I want to live in a certain place, or you know, work towards purchasing a home. Like, there's kind of a lot of shared common goals, and that's mm-hmm. a good sign. Yeah. Um, One yeah. partner can say, "Yeah, my goal is is family and to have our house." which means I'm going to be putting in a lot of extra hours at work so that I can save the money or, you know, I can climb the ladder and do all that other stuff. While the other partner is, yeah, I'm going to be home and I'm going to be raising our children and I'm going to make sure our environment is, you know, how we want it to be, right? So they can have very different roles mm -hmm. in terms of reaching those kind of common goals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how do we better understand that kind of language? So if somebody decides to not outwardly express themselves in that way or if somebody is very active within the family unit and is emotionally very focused. How can we better understand our partner's love language if it doesn't match our own? Can we all be a little more intentional about the way we show affection and how is this beneficial? Okay, so <laughs> so you're talking, uh, Amic, about um, the five love languages. I think yes, that's kind of uh, popular in uh, in our you know popular culture right now. And I think mm. there's you know a lot of truth to those love languages. And there's the idea that we uh, have a certain way of showing love, and then we have a certain way that we prefer to receive love. And it's really about having that conversation and understanding one another's love languages, because we just assume sometimes that because I like to get gifts, my partner likes to get gifts, or because I do acts of service for my partner, you know, I make that for her is enough or that's what she experiences as love and for her it might be wanting more physical affection hugs kisses you know that might be what she needs more of Mm -hmm. versus the doing for Mm -hmm. right so everybody's different and it's just really um taking the time to ask your partner what how they feel appreciated how they feel loved Being clear with the other partner too is like is this something that you're able to do so how do we create a plan of action within that so you recognize that maybe your love languages differ how do we work towards understanding and having that conversation because I feel like it might be awkward for some couples to ask because some people just are under the assumption that they know I would agree with that Mm -hmm. yeah lots of couples assume that they it's again it's kind of goes back to the drive-thru's talking that I was saying (laughs) right you just assume that what I'm doing is is right and what I'm doing is helpful and what I'm doing is what my partner wants 
That's not always the case. That being said, sometimes it is the case, but things can change over time as well. So, you know, doing a check-in every once in a while to see, you know, how are things going? What, what do you need? What do you need to be different? What's working well? What's not working well? Um, and having that kind of authentic, yeah, it can be a difficult conversation because there could be things that you're going to say that aren't quite as positive, but it's also to pull all of those positive things in and with 10 positive things and then you can the, this is actually what i would like to see change in our relationship for the next six months or whatever and as forward. humans we're habitual as well i feel like we adapt a routine and we stay in it for, until somebody calls us out so mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. can we break the habit how yeah. do we stray away from that and find new comfort in our relationship yeah that idea of you know human beings getting complacent i think very much yeah. applies to yeah. couples relationships and that's why you know, we, we stress how important it is to invest in and continuously work on relationships. All our relationships are our relationships with our children and our partners. Mm-hmm. That's primary to not neglect your partner relationship. So a way I would, you know, suggest to folks if they come into counseling or, you know, just to anyone out there is to structure that time to mm-hmm. actually intentionally make time for the couple have a regular weekly date. It could be going out. It could be at home. Um, but protect that time and make sure it happens. And if you let it go one week, just make sure you get back to it another week. You know, it, it you get off track. We all get off track in our relationships, and it's about knowing we can get back on track. We just need to, we need to make the invest move. that time. We need to yeah. invest mm-hmm. the move. Yeah. Yeah, and you saying yeah that we're creatures of habit, and because totally true. So another big thing that I try to really focus on when I'm doing couples work is give each other grace. This is. Um, you're working from a pattern of behavior that you've learned over however long you've been together, right? So you're here now to create change. That's not going to happen overnight, right? So please give each other grace around this is a new pattern of behavior that you're trying to adapt to and trying to adopt. And so supporting each other in that is really important right now. So don't expect after this session, bam, things are going to be completely different. They're not. It's just that we're just not built that way. Mm-hmm. I also um, find that genera- generationally, we're very impatient. Mm-hmm. Um, when people say we need change, people expect that to be immediately. Mm-hmm. So how do you support your partner within that change? For, for me, again, during that conversation, it's about, so what support do you need to be reminded of the change that you're trying to make? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that can be different for everybody. You know, sometimes I need my my partner to say, do you really want to eat that? You said you were going to go on a diet. You know, sometimes it's my partner just putting her hand on my shoulder and I remember, OK, I'm doing it again. I need to just calm down or do whatever and change that behavior. Right. So it's negotiating with the with each other what you need to remind yourself you know, sometimes um, to change the behavior. Gottman talks about this idea of a state of the union talks to have like, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of scheduled check-ins on your relationship. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I mean, that can be a few times a year, it can be more often. I think Gottman would recommend doing it quite often. Um, But that can be more of a like, you know, where are we at? Have we sort of let things slide? Have we, uh, you know, been communicating as much as we'd like? Or what are the main issues right now with not just with the couple, but maybe with others maybe with struggles they're having in their jobs or in other places and that goes back to the common goal piece too right Mm -hmm. so that conversation again can be a difficult conversation potentially but if you can reframe it in we're working on this common goal of our relationship as opposed to you're doing this wrong you're doing this wrong you're doing this wrong it's about I need this, or could we change this, or could we work on this differently, as opposed to... So it's making that I a we. 
or making that you a we. I think a lot of people come in for couples counseling because it helps to have someone facilitate that conversation if it's not going well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we like our natural tendency is to just be blunt and say things guilty. (laughs) Say things um, in a direct way that's about us and Mm -hmm. not really acknowledging the other person's sensitivities or needs, right? Mm -hmm. Practicing some healthier, more useful communication skills in session, we would talk about things like soft start. So you're bringing up an issue. Think about how you want to bring it up, when you want to bring it up. Consider your tone. Consider language. Mm-hmm. So just that kind of stopping and pausing and, and, and thinking about how you're making this request of your mm-hmm. partner. Mm-hmm. variety of other communication skills that can make or break yeah. <laughs> the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why sometimes it's it's nice to have a facilitator. Yeah. And I, I think traditionally couples used um, sort of informal facilitators. Maybe it was a, a brother or sister who was uh, there or a, a parent or somebody in their community who mm-hmm. could you know, help them through a tough time, a conflict. For the more religious people, they would stalemate. use their priest or, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah, so I think we all need that little bit of help sometimes when mm-hmm. we're stuck. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so what keeps people together, in your opinion, when they've experienced trauma or a be- breach of trust mm-hmm. in their relationship? And how do we know the difference between toxicity and productivity when people want to stay together? So is there a line that shouldn't be crossed how do we know when we're approaching that line and what can we do yeah. to backtrack? Well, and this is obviously a common you know, issue that we see in couples counseling. There's been a breach of trust. Um, breach we, of trust, by the way, does not have to mean cheating or infidelity. No. It can mean anything. It, and exactly. And yeah. in uh, EFT, we call it an attachment injury. It's something your partner has done to betray you. It could be big or small. The emotional impact can be different. Sometimes a small thing can have a big emotional impact. Mm-hmm. So how do you get beyond that? I mean, I think the first thing that I always encourage couples to do is to slow down. If it's been a big attachment injury, like an infidelity, people are in crisis. It's not the time to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage people to kind of go through a process. Is it going to be toxic or is it going to be productive in terms of like sometimes a challenge can actually strengthen a relationship, even a big challenge like that, can end up turning things around where a couple can come to a new understanding and have a healthier relationship. So there's always potential in any crisis. So I would go through a systematic process with a couple of once the dust is sort of settled, so to speak, people are coping okay, I would want to sort of explore what went wrong, explore the feelings of both parties, the impact on whoever suffered the attachment injury and help the the other person explore like what what happened, where were the blinders, you know, as long as both partners are invested as long Mm -hmm. as the person who has made the mistake maybe had the infidelity, if they are 100% committed to understanding how they went down this path, if they are 100% um, remorseful, realize the impact that they've had on others, not just their partner. I mean, those are good signs that Mm -hmm. it's going to be productive. Um, And it really, it depends on each individual too. Is Is the other person willing to kind of forgive? Is the other person willing to be able to move on? What is that? look like you know and to to absolutely slow down 
take some time, reflect on everything, mm-hmm. and almost kind of call the damage a little bit too. Oftentimes we'll go out and we'll spread out for as much support <clears throat> as we can when we've experienced um, some sort of a trauma or, mm-hmm. or experience like that. You know, and each indiv- each situation is very different. Um, if it was an infidelity, though, one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, the more people you tell, the, the harder it can be to start to do that healing process mm-hmm. because the people on the outside don't understand the private conversations that you're having after you've spoken to all these other people as well. And so all of the negative stuff can be still be held by by the community that you've shared your news with um, and then that can also impact your healing as well so that's a um, very good point Jeff social media yeah. makes that a lot harder because you are either instantly notified or it's a subtle their pictures are gone together everything is kind of separate now what's going on mm-hmm. and then people start to talk mm-hmm. so do you, is there a way to filter all of that out and just focus on what's happening within the both of you as a unit I think it's bringing an awareness to the couple about being clear about what your choices are and what the, the impacts of those choices are going to be. You know, if you're going to change your relationship status, like <laughs> your all of your Facebook friends are going the to Facebook. know. The Facebook friends are going to know what's mm-hmm. what's going on, and you're setting yourself up for a whole lot of questions there, right? Um, so. I'm not saying that's right, wrong, or otherwise, but being aware of what the ramifications of that choice is, um, I think that's kind of part of what my role is, is to kind of bring that awareness. You know, I'm not going to judge if you want to change your relationship status or if you want to talk about it at yoga or, you know, at the gym with your buddies or whatever. But I think part of my role is you got to remember, though, they're not going to be part of all of the other work that you and your partner are going to be doing. So they may still be holding a whole lot of resentment or anger or judgment around your partner or you without having the inside information of all the other work that you've done. Regarding breaches of trust, say a couple is navigating somebody's habit and they need to advance beyond that and try to grow and move on from that. Does that need to be taken into account when working on it in couples counseling or... How do we break habits or help our partners break habits in a more positive way? Somebody's failing to communicate and the other person is clearly stating that they want somebody to just say, I care about you and I appreciate you and I love you, uh-huh. but they show that in a different way. Okay. And this has become a habit that they've adopted into yeah. the relationship. How do you, as a counselor, yeah. step in, intervene and say, this is not what this person wants or hey, why don't we try to reframe this and make this a little more beneficial for you both? Well, I I guess it goes back to what Jeff was saying about change takes time and there's a certain amount of patience that's needed. Um, There's also a certain amount of acceptance that um, in couples therapy, you know, one of the many... um, tools or not even not tools but one of the many um pieces that we want to attend to is this idea that on a, uh, to some extent we have to accept our partner for who they are and mm-hmm. that people aren't going to change you know do a 180 in most cases right I mean it depends mm-hmm. what it is but we want to work towards growth and change while also accepting that there's some some things that might not change as much as we'd like them to mm-hmm. but as long as there's an effort and investment so like in the example you're giving I mean I would say that's a work in progress 
and that I wouldn't want to give up. Um, say, okay, like, let's keep working on this. Let's be patient. And often you do see like baby steps and little changes. And sometimes people don't, you know, recognize or validate those enough. And when we stop and do, we do, we go, okay, well, actually, you know, you're right. You are making an effort. And I, I do see some changes and that it does tell me that change is possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Larendella, around validating even the smallest change that you've noticed in your mm-hmm. partner is really, really important. We talk about the six steps of validation mm. in couples therapy, where it's going through the motions of this is noticed, this is appreciated, we're going mm-hmm. to work on this, creating a plan of action, and then actually seeing that change be affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good yeah. model. Yeah, but acknowledging even the small changes, right? We, mm-hmm. We're quick to notice the one negative, mm-hmm. um, but we've neglected to appreciate or even verbalize the 10 positive scene, you know, mm-hmm. or that our partner's seen. And that can have a huge impact on someone who's really trying hard to create change in a relationship. Yeah. Right? And I think Larendell's point is, is really valid as well. We didn't marry the perfect, or we're not <laughs> together with the perfect person. You know, there, there's always going to be little things that may drive us crazy or, or be annoying, or that's just the way it's always going to be. And to be able to be reflective about how much are these, you know, annoying little things amplified because we're in conflict right now that normally, well, that's just how Lambda is and I knew that getting into this relationship and so, (laughs) you know, but if we're in a constant state of conflict, those little things that really are little things can be super huge um, and being aware of that as well. Yeah. So it's not just about the 10 to 1. It's acknowledging the fact that the 10 to 1 is happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I would agree with that. That's a great way of looking at it, that we want to pay attention to those 10 things, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. just the one thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And how can couples or even individuals within a couple look to nurture their relationships and appreciate the people that matter? So... Even if you're single, even if you're just working on relationships within your family or friend group, how can you learn to appreciate people and make that known? Um, What are small ways that you can show gratitude within your relationships? It depends on the relationship, really. Um, and again, you can you can feed into the love languages. It's it's talking to your partner about you know what would they appreciate, what do they appreciate, or knowing you know what they appreciate, taking risk and trying to f- do something, and even if it isn't as appreciated as you thought it would be, you know, kind of putting some effort into acknowledging that piece, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's uh, in the investing in your relationship is about investing time in being appreciative, in noticing the positives, in um, just paying attention and nurturing the relationship. And so that if you prioritize that, I think that can happen naturally along with like the questions that Jeff is suggesting, the using the love languages as a tool. But even if you don't quite get it right, I think it's it's just in the intention and the effort of doing it mm-hmm. that it's uh, it's noticed and it it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could I think about you know leaving the house and I know that the sink is full of dishes. And knowing that after my day at work, I have to come home because I said I was going to do the dishes and mm-hmm. get things going. But I come home and I find out that my wife has come, taken an hour out of her day from work and come home and done the dishes. That's just a great way for her to show appreciation. Like, it's just kind and makes me feel, thanks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kindness is a good word. <laughs> Be kind. Be yes. kind to each other. Yeah. Be kind. 
Yeah. <laughs> Be kind. And how do you describe success as a result of couples therapy and what both partners stand to gain out of it? So somebody comes in to see you, how do you track that progress and what do people really get out of this? I like to see people enjoying each other more. Mm -hmm. So over the months that I've seen people where they're working on the relationship, not just in therapy, but also outside of therapy, I see this sort of gradual, um, less conflict, but more importantly, just having more fun again. Yes. Kind of getting back to who they were early in the relationship when they, um, you know, got lost in all the other things in life. So it, it's, just great to see people having fun again does that depend on the duration of the relationship or is it just across the board people just enjoy each other more when Mm -hmm. they've fully communicated and express themselves absolutely like i believe you can always um come back to that magic that um passion you had early in your relationship i mean it it does change over the life cycle but i think in a healthy relationship i think with you know with the good intentions can always find each other again (laughs) for Mm -hmm. lack of of better words yeah yeah indicators of success um what is an indicator of success for me is like like physically i can see happiness you know Mm -hmm. as as people start to Mm -hmm. enjoy each other Mm -hmm. um i can see shifts in body language right so our first session they can be like kind of sitting away from each other and like have very close body language four or five six sessions in they're closer, you know, or they're touching, they're, you know, laughing with each other, they're kind of back to finishing each other's sentences almost, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that way. Um, so those are pretty concrete examples of, I think you're on the right path. Uh, as I said, I don't, I don't take any necessary credit for that. I, I think that's, the, that's their work. Yeah, really. absolutely. And one thing that I always see as success indicator maybe early on is when people start to take risks and share some very vulnerable feelings and so the fact that there's enough safety between them that they're taking risks with each other that they have sort of the courage to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. um and with me in the room as well like Mm -hmm. i think that's an amazing thing vulnerability Um, is the greatest strength yeah Mm -hmm. amazing strength for a person to have the courage to you know to share some very sensitive things Mm And to build on that a bit, learned out for somebody else to be able to hear that in a non-defensive mm-hmm. way as well, and acknowledge, okay, I may I may not even necessarily agree with what my partner's saying, but it's important enough to them that I'm going to try to put an effort into change to be a bit more accommodating to what their need is. I think that's a pretty big indicator of success as well. Yes, that's sort of the positive cycle that you know um, Sue Johnson would call the positive dance that starts. So like one partner takes a risk and is a bit vulnerable, and the other person responds and sort of reaches for them, maybe puts their hand on their shoulder and tries to comfort them in that moment, and and that's how it begins. Mm-hmm. So with those those risks and both being vulnerable and receiving that, mm-hmm. acknowledging that those are real feelings whether or not whether or not the partner feels like it was their fault or they caused it like that's not even relevant it's just empathy for their partner Mm -hmm. that they're struggling yeah good word finally what do you want our listeners to take away from this if they're in a relationship presently and how can we all be better at just trusting each other and communicating how we feel well i would encourage people to be proactive (laughs) and invest Mm -hmm. in the relationship um because you know, time goes by, and it's such a it's such a shame when we don't enjoy each other 
And I wish, you know, I wish I had taken that advice at times in my life. If I had maybe even entered this field um, earlier, I would have had the wisdom to maybe let some things go or just not just accept good enough and say, we're coping and it's good enough. And, you know, one day when I have time, when we have time, we'll focus on each other. And (laughs) if I had, you know, if I could look back and give people advice, it's like, don't wait because you're wasting valuable time and you're... um, you're missing out on what's so great about a couple's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy to fall into that trap. Mm-hmm. Stressful times in our lives. And it can that can continue for years like that. So be proactive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and often, you know, talk about, um, you know, we sort of have maybe two or three buckets that are really important to, you know, one is me time. We all need individual time. One might be family time if we have a family beyond our couple. And the third is the couple relationship. And they're all important. And at different times in our lives, one might have to take a little bit of priority over the other, but we can never neglect any of them. They're all important. I would also give people that message. Yeah, I think my thought would be to be reflective, you know, both um, self-reflective, but also really reflective on your relationship. Try to check your ego at the door Mm -hmm. as well, you know. um, Ego's a big thing. It can be really impactful in a relationship. Uh, And going back to kind of some of the stuff that Laren Dahl was saying to uh, check in about co- what your common goals are, you know, and that kind of ties into what your ego is, where your ego can be too. Trying to think of this as an us and it's not a, a me thing, you know, um, or that you've done this wrong or you need to change this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it is, it's an us, it's a partnership. Uh, it's a couple. Yeah. 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 I always say I'm working with the couple in the room, not any individual. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the couple that has the, it, the cycle. It's not you know, individuals, and it's not not one person's fault because it's a dynamic between Mm -hmm. them, Mm -hmm. and that's what we're working with in couples counseling. This was great, guys. Thank you so much for your time and your energy with this. I know it's been a long time coming, but I'm happy we got here, and I'm Mm -hmm. happy that you guys got to articulate so much great stuff. I feel like people can really benefit from all of this. Thank you. Great. Yes, thank you, Annika. I hope you had fun. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great to um, think about these things and Mm -hmm. to talk about them together.